In this episode of Startups for the Rest of Us, Rob and I are going to be talking about SaaS KPIs you should focus on from day one. This is Startups for the Rest of Us, episode 434. Welcome to Startups for the Rest of Us. The podcast helps developers, designers, and entrepreneurs be awesome at building, launching, and growing software products. Whether you built your first product or you're just thinking about it. I'm Mike. And I'm Rob. We're here to share our experiences to help you avoid the same mistakes we've made. What's the word this week, Rob? Well, I got my tan on in Mexico. I mentioned that last episode. We got out of Minneapolis for about eight days, and it was good. It was interesting that that my two boys got so much sun the first day. They got a little sunburn, but it wasn't bad. But they then, like the next two days, had fevers, and it was like it was almost like they had sunstroke because we have been out in the sun so little since whatever October you know so it, it was a trip it was I was like did they get vitamin D overload or what, what was the deal but they both got sick in ways that you know some people since it was Mexico several of us got had stomach issues but the boys didn't and they had like this different reaction to things and they were all hot and they were tired with headaches you know it was definitely like sunstroke attributes Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. I, I wonder if it's just a byproduct of living in California for so long. <laughs> yeah. What do you mean? What do you mean living in California? Well, because you lived in California and then then you moved to Minneapolis and like suddenly you're not getting any sun. Yeah. And then, you know, you go back. It's almost like dying of starvation or thirst. And then like suddenly you get it and then it's like you get sick because. <laughs> totally. And that's, you know, the thing was, is like my boys tan really well, but they basically, back before we went to Mexico, they look gray. You know, they look this really odd gray color because again, it's like no, you know, no sun exposure because it's so cold. It, it's super sunny here in Minneapolis, but it's just so cold. You don't go out without coverage. You know, it's really your face is typically the only thing showing because if you're going to be out for any extended time, you have gloves on and you have stuff over your arms. So it's, um, yeah, it's, it, it was a fun trip overall and I'd recommend it. It's actually, so we actually went to this smaller town called Sayulita and it's about 45 minutes north of Puerto Vallarta. And, you know, I know you mentioned you'd never been to Mexico. And so for your first trip, maybe you do go to Cancun or, or Puerto Vallarta. Those places are fine. We've gone there. But once you go there once, it's kind of like, this is super touristy, you know, it's packed with people and it's not, you're not among the locals. You're just a bunch of other vacationers, you know, you're hanging out with other tourists. Whereas Sayulita is small and it's, like I said, 20 minutes north, or I'm sorry, 45 minutes north. And so it's a lot more, I don't know, it was a much better experience. It felt slightly more authentic. Um, and we still had access to what, what we needed in terms of food and such, but it did feel just like, like a better experience. So for folks listening, if you haven't checked it out, I, um, I recommend it. How about you? What's going on? I'm in the process of going through the scholarship applications that came in. For MicroConf, right? Yes, for MicroConf. And uh, I th really think that if I were going to make any predictions right now, that this would probably be the single biggest mistake that I will make for the entire year. <laughs> oh, boy. I forgot to include the email address field until basically like two-thirds or three-quarters of the way through it, and I didn't notice it until then. Uh, so, so you have a scholarship application, like a Google form or a type kit, mm -hmm. and you send an email to the MicroConf list, and you send people to come apply for scholarships, and they give all this information, yep. and you have no email address form. Exactly. <laughs> ah, that's nuts. And there's no way to map 
Yeah, since it's third party, you couldn't even. I was trying to think if you could link back to their, because you know when they click through the drip email, there's going to be their subscriber ID in the URL, but there's no way to go back and try to get that and match no. it up or anything. No, not from a not from a Google form. And the thing is, like, uh-uh. it's not even that I actually forgot it; it's that it disappeared because I copied the application form from last year. Wow. So I don't know what happened. Like, I, I must have clicked something and accidentally deleted it or something. I don't know. But yeah, I didn't notice until, you know, well into it. And I was just like, oh, that's rough. Yeah. So I'm in the process right now of like going through and trying to figure out how to reach each of these people. The nice thing is that because it's an application, it asks for a lot of information. And most of the ones that are missing, I have at least Twitter account information for. So I can send them a a message and try and get in touch with them through that. And then other ones I've been able to map back to some of the different lists, email lists that we have. And the, the one really helpful piece of information is that I ask where they heard about it from. And, you know, if they say email list, then I can go look at the email list. Or if they say that they heard from a certain person, I think there was only one, possibly two that I'm like, I'm not sure how I'm going to be able to get that information. But I think for the most part, I'm going to be able to clear it out. It's just going to take time and effort, though. That's the part that sucks. That's the thing. These are those fixable problems that are a ton of grunt work to get done. And it's like, I could have saved myself hours of digging through this thing if I'd remembered to put the email list on dude or the email address. I have done this plus way worse, you know? I mean, these are these are things that happen as you're, as you're moving fast and doing a bunch of stuff. That's brutal. So, oh, well, you know, I got to do what I got to do, though, so. <laughs> yep. My guess is you will never, ever again forget to put an email address on a form like this. Like I said, I, I don't think I forgot. I think I just accidentally deleted it. <laughs> deleted itself, yeah. Yeah. Cool. From my end, speaking of applications, the Tiny Seed application process ran for a month from mid-January to uh, mid-February. And I guess it ran uh, four weeks. Yeah, man, we got just under 900 applicants. It was a lot more than wow. I thought. Yeah, I mean, I was ambitious and hoping, you know, we'd get 400. I had heard through the grapevine that a lot of accelerators get like the well, more well-known, get 500 to 700, depending on location and blah, blah, blah. And I'm sure Y Combinator gets more than that, I'd imagine. But yeah, that's, that's a, it's a big number and it's one I'm very happy with. It also creates a good, what we call a good problem to have. The good problem is we have a lot of applicants. The bad problem is I've been sifting through almost 900 applicants for, you know, the past two weeks. And it's, it's a, it's just a lot of, it's a lot of work. So, and I'm not, I'm not complaining, obviously, because this is what I want to be doing, but definitely going to be a process to get through all of these and already started having conversations with founders, as I mentioned a few weeks ago. So going well. Awesome. Yeah, the only other thing on my side is that I've got a uh, upcoming webinar that I'm going to be doing for HR.com, which is uh, kind of, I don't know, like I, I, you look at those like two letter domain names and you're like, wow, like that's, it's nice that I was able to uh, uh, finagle that. So yeah, I'll be doing a webinar for them on uh, personalized email strategies to drive traffic, engage leads, close deals, and more. And uh, that'll be on April 29th. And I'll link that up in the show notes in case anybody's interested. But obviously, because it's for them, their audience tends to be people who are reaching out to to HR professionals in that particular space. So like most of their audience, like I have a couple of different audiences, but one of them is the HR reps themselves. And then the other one is people and vendors who are trying to get in touch with HR people. So this is basically aimed at those people who are trying to get in touch with the HR reps, but it's it's more of a general presentation that I'm putting together for them. So it could very well be applicable to people in, who are listening. 
Sure. So we will link that up in the show notes. So I know I did the intro today, but what are we talking about? Yeah, we're actually, we designed an entire outline around a listener question. I'll play the voicemail in a second, but it's about where do the key performance indicators or KPIs, and by the way, I hate that term. I feel like it's such an MBI, hate it, hate it, but but it's a shorthand you know, that, that everyone understands. But what are the numbers, the metrics that you should be tracking when launching and growing a SaaS app? And so let's uh, dive into the voicemail here. Hey, Rob and Mike. I'm Adam Hawkins, and thanks for running this show. It's been awesome. I've learned a lot from you over the past few episodes, and I appreciate that both of you mentioned metrics when discussing SaaS businesses. I think one of you mentioned that you needed to have X thousand visitors on your landing page to fill your funnel in a previous episode, and that really got me thinking as a fellow bootstrapper. So here's my question. What are the KPIs and target values when launching a new SaaS? I'm kind of thinking of something along the lines of numbers that would keep me on track when launching my own SaaS. That's all for me. Thanks, guys. And keep up with the book. So I, I think the first thing I want to say about this is when we make statements like you need X thousand people to hit your landing page to validate or whatever, often that's that's like a rule of thumb and it's something to start from. But please don't take that as like gospel as, you know, I think in the past we've said you need 30 people or, or you should you should talk to 30 people and have them say yes to your product and consider that validated. With Drip, I only did 10. But the, again, these are, it, it just depends. It's all, it's all a spectrum. It's like a risk tolerance, you know, and, and these numbers are not, they're not set in stone. Like none of this stuff is set in stone. With that said, the, there are rules of thumb, right? From, from doing this for 15 years, you start to see patterns and you know that a, a metric is out of whack if, Let's say I have a SaaS app that's 50 bucks a month and my, my trial to paid, I'm asking for credit card up front, and my trial to paid is 10%. I know that is way, way, way too low and we have a major problem in our funnel. And so that's what we're going to talk through today is kind of these, these loose ranges of when I see an app performing at 40% versus 60%, how we think about that. And, and how it indicates where you might have an issue in your funnel. And what it really helps you figure out what to focus on. Because at any given time, you are going to have one or more things that are just going sideways with your business. It's just the nature of doing startups, right? You're always that duck on the pond where above the water, you look like you're just gracefully moving along. And under the water, you're just paddling like crazy to stay afloat. And your numbers are sideways and and you got to figure out what do you focus on. And so that's really the point of this episode is to try to give you some guidance so that you're thinking about it as someone with a background, even if this is your first time, that you're kind of taking the the wisdom and the rules of thumb from us, basically folks who have who have seen these SaaS apps and and seen a lot of numbers and know what a healthy SaaS business looks like and know where to focus on to help improve them. Yeah, and as you said, like these are uh, guidelines, general patterns, but that's not necessarily, it doesn't necessarily mean that if you are in this range, then things are going great. And I think one of the big drawbacks of using this information is kind of like gospel is the fact that you never really know whether or not you are like you have room for improvement or how much you have room for improvement. Like if you have this general range, let's say it's between two and 4% for any given number. And let's say you're smack in the middle at 3% is that seems reasonable. And there's probably other areas of your business that you should be focusing on. But is it possible that that number 
could be 6% or 8% depending on your type of business or the vertical that you're in? And the answer is absolutely yes, it could be that high. But you don't really know unless you are directly comparing yourself against other businesses that are similar to yours. So again, these are general guidelines. They are helpful in terms of determining whether or not you should continue to focus on that area. And maybe you should, but like chances are good that if you're in the the general ballpark, I'll say that there's other things that you should be going to look at before you come back and try to optimize and double down on the, whatever that particular thing is to improve it. And that's the thing. If you've ever gotten a piece of mail from like your city water, water quality control board, they'll show you all the lead and the this and the that, and then they'll show you the acceptable ranges. Because without the acceptable ranges, you have no idea what the numbers mean. It's like one part per million of lead. Does that mean anything to you? It doesn't to me. So then you want to see the acceptable range. Or if you get like a blood test, right? Mike, I know you've never had any tests done on you. Of course not. From doctors. <laughs> <laughs> you've talked about them on the show, which is why I bring them up. But, you know, I, I get a blood test every few years or whatever. And there's all these numbers that mean nothing without that guideline on the right, that it's like, this is the normal range. And that's really what this is trying to do is, and I don't want to, I don't want to overcouch this and say like, oh, these numbers, we're just going to ballpark and, and they don't really mean anything. They, they do mean things, but there's always the caveats of like, if you're selling a $19 a month SaaS, and I, I will try to call those out as we go through because I've sold $19 a month SaaSs, you know, and then if you have one that's 500 bucks a month, like the numbers are going to be different. And we'll try to kind of talk through those, you know, those differences as we go. And we've talked about KPIs and various metrics in a few other episodes. There is the first one was episode 112, where we talked about the uh, startup metrics for pirates. And that's based on, uh, was it AAARR? Is that what it is? I forget. Yeah, something like that. It's either AARRR or AAARR. I forget which it is. I think it's two A's and three R's. And then there's another one, episode 187, where there's a whole slide deck that we went through from Andreas Klinger. And that slide deck is, I think, around 150 pages or so. It's really in-depth. There's a lot of good information in there. And it specifically talks about the fact that your KPIs are going to change over time. And very early on, there are going to be data points that you're looking at that you have to be really, really careful about how you interpret them because the numbers are probably going to be much smaller and your product market fit isn't quite right yet. And it's just, there's a lot of caveats to those very early numbers. And we will kind of call them out as well. But that's something really important to keep in mind when you're trying to figure out whether or not you should optimize something more or move on to something else. And then the third episode is uh, episode 231 with Ruben Gomez, where you and him at the very end of the episode started talking about some of these general ranges that we'll kind of rehash in this episode. And it'll, I'll be interested to see how close the ranges are. Because, I mean, we, we literally did it off the cuff in that episode. And I'm kind of going to do it off the cuff again today. And I'm, I'm hoping that the ranges are, are pretty close. So what I'd like to do is start at the top of the funnel. And so, you know, going from unique visits to your site and just go all the way down the funnel. So visits to trial, trial to paid, churn, blah, 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 and kind of go down the line. So starting at the top of the funnel with unique visitors, this is an interesting one because I don't, I don't think there is a KPI for this, right? It's like you want the most unique visitors you can get that are targeted to your website in any given month. And I have had software products that get literally 1,500 unique visitors a month that sold upwards of four or $5,000 a month in software. Now, it was not SaaS. It was a $300 one-time purchase, but the traffic was targeted. It was in a pretty tight niche, and it obviously converted quite well. Whereas 
most SaaS apps I know, since you know, you're going to be priced between, let's say, $20 and $100 a month for your starting tier if you're doing self-service, you really want to start getting into that five to 10,000 uniques a month to try to start scaling it up. The challenge here is if we're talking about day one and you've just launched, unique visitors doesn't have much meaning yet, right? Because what you really want to do is you're still trying to validate your product. You're trying to find product market fit and driving more traffic and trying to split test and look at these aggregate numbers isn't helpful yet. So in the early days, I should probably couch all of these metrics with that is in the early days, your numbers are going to be so small when you have 10 customers, 20 customers, and one of them churns, that doesn't really mean you have a 10 or 20, or I'm a five or 10% churn rate. It, it does technically, but it's, it's meaningless because you don't have enough numbers to accurately measure things. So I think that is another thing is early day KPIs are different than later day KPIs and early day KPIs are really how many people uh, am I talking to? Do I think we have product market fit? Is churn going down? You know, is our marketing resonating? There's a lot more qualitative questions that I ask in the early days than in the later days you're looking at more quantitative because you're just past that point. And I feel like it's it's hard to say for everyone, but I feel like when you hit about somewhere between 5 and 15K MRR, that's where... I start to shift into that. Okay, I have enough. You know, it's, you're probably at 100 customers, 200 customers. That's where you can start having numbers that are more easily measurable, and and you can start seeing trends instead of seeing these very spiky results because the numbers are small. So I think one of the uh, interesting things about the the number of unique visitors is that you know, as you said, all those not edge cases, but those different factors that play into it, like you know, price point, how long it's been around, like do you have product market fit, all that kind of stuff. One of the, I think, really challenging things when you're that early on is that like a link on Hacker News, for example, can drive traffic through the roof and it is untargeted traffic. It, like, it's good to, to get it and it's nice to see that there are more eyeballs kind of coming to your site. But what it does is it really heavily skews your metrics because those people aren't necessarily there as interested people. They're there because you got a PR bump and it really seriously starts skewing your metrics. So you really have to be careful when you're looking at everything else just because if you're only averaging, let's say, 3,000 views a month and then suddenly you get an incoming link and you end up getting 5,000 over the course of a couple of days, that 5,000 is going to overshadow your typical of 3,000. And because it's untargeted, your visitor to trial and your trial to pay, like all those numbers completely get like out of whack because of that. And it skews them. And it it makes it a little bit more challenging to figure out like what what is my actual visitor to trial rate? Because you have to look at that and say, well, how well targeted was that traffic? Do I apply like a, a percentage to that and say, well, yeah, it's 5,000 people, but maybe only a half percent or 1% of them were actually targeted. And then you kind of multiply out from there and figure out what your actual visitor to trial rate would be. Yeah. And the nice part about, I think all these metrics, but specifically visitor to trial is the more visits you get and the more trials you get, just the, the further along you get, it does standardize. And, and I used to be able to look at in Google Analytics or at whatever dashboard I was running and just instantly know if it was a good number. And so my range for this is between about, and this is for SaaS, I want to specifically say that because for info products or for one-time purchases, you can get dramatically higher numbers. But people signing up for SaaS apps with a credit card up front, I want to be between 
0.5% and 2%. So that's 0.5% and 2%. And the difference there can mean be a lot of things. I mean, it can definitely be your messaging and your marketing. It can be the quality of your traffic. It can also be your price point, and that's a that's a big one. So, if I had an app that was ten, twenty dollars, uh, ten or twenty bucks a month for the lowest pricing tier, I would want to be closer to that one point five and two percent number of of unique visitors translating into trials with a credit card on file. And if I'm selling something that's fifty or hundred dollars a month as the lowest tier, I'm going to be looking between point five and one percent. One percent would be a, a you know pretty nice number to get on that. Now, something else to think about is this is for just one, that's one funnel, you know, that's like visitors and turning into trial. You can also have a longer funnel that visitors turning into email subscribers, and then you know how many email subscribers over time turn into trials. So you can look at, look at that number. And if you have a real, like a good converting landing page, let's say you're sending either, you know, ad traffic or SEO traffic, and you're kind of trying to squeeze for an email address and you're offering something that folks would, you know, something of value that folks would download in exchange for that email. I've seen, I want the range to be between about 15 and 25% of people entering their email address on a landing page. I've had upwards of four, between 40 and 50% for certain calls to action with really targeted traffic, but that's pretty exceptional. And if I'm below, let's say about, if I'm below 15, I'm a little concerned. And if I'm below 10, then I'm doing something wrong. You know, the traffic's mismatched or the call to action isn't very good. And if you're going to do that, I mean, this is a longer, it's a longer funnel, it's a longer journey, but you need to then look at your email numbers in aggregate and say, how many of these are turning into trials over time. And that's where you need a good system with good tracking, like a drip or a I believe active campaign could do this. I'm not sure that MailChimp, I haven't used it in so long. I'm not sure that it's easy to do that with MailChimp. So if you are going to go that route, you're going to want to, you're going to want to dial in the analytics, at least to the point where you can have a relatively, relatively good insight into how many new subscribers are converting into trials. And one other thing, if you're not asking for credit card up front and your unique visitor to trial rate is 5%, so I'd say 5 to 15, but 5 is actually too low. I think I'd want to be more in the probably 10 to 20% range is, is where I'd feel comfortable. This one, I have done very little because I tend to ask for credit card up front. I have done tests with it and such, but I've talked to a bunch of founders who kind of run credit card free apps, you know, the credit card free trials. And that does tend to, uh, that does tend to be the, the range. And so number three, the next KPI is of course, trial to paid conversion. And if I'm asking for credit card up front, I want between 40 and 60%. And so if I'm at 39%, I know that I have a problem. And if I'm at 58%, I know that I'm doing quite well. I mean, that's really towards the top of the, the range. I have heard of, of companies and I've actually had like, there was a time when drip bumped above 60 at different times then you know you're you're kind of killing it and your onboarding is doing really well and again if you're at 35 i mean when i when i took over um hittail acquired that in 2011 it was credit card up front and the trial to paid was like 15 percent and so you know that there's a major problem in the onboarding and that was the one of the first things that i cleaned up right that's why these numbers are these ranges are fairly important is that you know you're so out of whack there that if you fix that, you know that you're going to be going to be in a better position. And then if you're not asking for credit card up front, trial to paid, I would want to see also, or I'd want to see that one between, let's say, 5 and 15 is probably a relatively 
that's a that's a decent mark. I mean, I would want to be between eight and fifteen myself, but you're just gonna have a lot lower when you're not asking for a credit card. It's just kind of the nature of the beast. So one of the things that I think is probably the most challenging with trying to find out or to track some of this information is that when you're when you're very early on, these these numbers are very misleading when one person cancels. So like if you've got 10 customers or 20 customers, like having one or two customers cancel is a is a huge deal or one or two people who come through the funnel that don't convert let's say you put four of them through and not one of them converts like that's zero percent and even having a couple after that it doesn't really put the number back to really where it should so you have to kind of eyeball those things and try to capture as much information from people who are leaving or not not following through with a trial to figure out what it is that drove them away why did they not actually decide to follow through and, and sign up for the service or continue using it and use that information to try and figure out what it is that you're supposed to do. Cause the numbers are not going to be enough, especially early on. Now that's not to say you shouldn't track those numbers, just that they're going to be misleading early on and over time it will get better. But those, those first few that come through first hundred, 200 that come through, it's going to be hard. Like you have to talk to people to figure out what the reasons are for them moving in one direction or the other. Exactly. The numbers aren't going to tell you the whole story. And that's especially in the early days, that's something you got to dig into. So the fourth KPI we're talking about is churn. And, you know, I've seen, I've seen people look at churn as a blanket number and it really obfuscates what's going on underneath. It's like if you, if you go to Amazon and you see that the average rating for something is 2.5 stars, but there's actually 101 stars and 100 five stars. I guess that would actually average to three, but you get the idea that hundred zero stars and a hundred five stars on average is two and a half. If you just look at the two and a half, it looks like a crappy product, but it, as it turns out with five and zero, the zeros are probably either misunderstanding or there's something wrong, right? There's more information under that data. And so churn, I feel is the same way. If you look at your churn across your entire customer base, you're missing some information. What I've typically seen the most success with is to look at your first 60 day of churn and then your post 60 day churn and separate those numbers out. Sometimes it's up to 90 days, but really a lot of people do an extended trial where they might enter their credit card, trial expires, they pay one month, they never get set up, they never get onboarded, and then they churn. But really what they did is they they were kind of like a trial that didn't convert to paid. So I started seeing these patterns, frankly, back, it was before Hittail, but when I got into Hittail and really dug into the numbers, it was a huge difference. And literally in the first 60 days, you might, especially if you're asking for a credit card up front, but it can happen both ways, you might see churn upwards in, in just, you know, in, per cohort of between 20 and 40%. It can be a huge number of people that are canceling there. And 40%, I start to feel uncomfortable. 20%, I actually don't feel terrible about in that first 60 days. Then post 60 days, you want to get your churn obviously as low as possible, but I feel most comfortable in the, let's say, the for, for lower price products that are not enterprise, not annual contracts, I think between 5 and 8%. If you're at 9 or 10%, it's pretty brutal. 8 is about the top, top end where I feel comfortable. Uh, realistically, you know, if you're a big SaaS app, I mean, I think WP Engine probably has net negative churn at this point, but I remember Jason saying in the early days they had 2% churn. I've, I've had apps that have 2 to 3% churn. At the, in that post 60 day, you know, post 90 day mark, and that's where you want to get to. The problem is, is the lower your price point, the higher your churn tends to be. And that's why a lot of folks do, you know, go, go up market. A lot of SaaS apps do. 
And then frankly, you want to, if you can, you want to get to net negative churn where, you know, you do churn out two, three, 4%, but just the growth in your existing customer base of people upgrading actually wipes out the churn. It's a, it's a crazy thing. I've seen it firsthand and it, it, your growth, it, it just catapults your growth. So yeah, those are, those are kind of my loose numbers that I keep in mind when I'm looking at, at churn rates. When I see coming, someone come through with a 12% monthly churn rate, I think oh, that's the first thing I would attack. Or if I see someone come through with a 3%, churn rate, I think that's amazing. I believe you have product market fit, depending on how many people you're putting through your funnel. Let's look at your other metrics to figure out where we should focus because it should not be on churn, you know, if your number is that low. Now, one thing I think we should probably drill into a little bit is the the idea of that negative churn, because I think that some people might get confused about that. It's not that you're gaining more users than you have actually signed up, although like in some cases that may actually be true, because if somebody comes in and then they invite somebody else on their team, initially they signed up with one account and then they may fall into a different tier. And that's part of where that net negative churn comes from because people are essentially upgrading to higher tier paid accounts. So whether they're adding users or going to a new pricing tier, each of those things can qualify. Now, question for you, Rob, because I'm not, I'm actually not sure about this. Does it qualify if they upgrade from like a monthly plan to an annual plan? I don't think that it does. No, it doesn't because the annual plan should be divided by 12 and, and added to your MRR anyways. So it's not net revenue. You know, it really is actual MRR that I'm looking at. I also, I'm glad you brought this up because I should have couched this when I was talking about churn and the churn you should focus on is revenue churn, not user churn or customer churn, right? Revenue churn is when you look at, we started the, the month with $100,000 in MRR and we lost $10,000 in MRR. So that's a 10% revenue churn versus we started the month with 1,000 customers who are paying, you know, different, different, a thousand credit cards on file, no matter how many users are within each account. We started with a thousand customers paying us and we ended the month with 900. That's 10% user churn or customer churn. I have always looked at both. The by far the most important is revenue churn. And I don't think you could have net negative customer churn because you can't add, it's, you can't add more customers than you signed up, but you can have a net negative revenue churn that's where you only lose a small amount of revenue from people canceling, but the rest of your customer base is either so large or they naturally move up tiers and, and pay you more for stuff. So, you know, Drip's a great example of this. As people's lists grew, they naturally moved up in tiers automatically. And so there was just this, there was just kind of a natural movement towards paying more to your ESP. Those are the kinds of businesses that can have net negative churn. Slack probably has net negative churn, right? Because teams do tend to grow. I mean, yeah, companies go out of business. There are layoffs now, but there are layoffs from time to time in in your customer base. But in general, teams that sign up for Slack and start paying, I'm guessing are these startups that are adding more and more and more and more people and Slack charges whatever it is, six or eight dollars a month per person. I would guess with the stickiness of Slack, I bet their their kind of gross churn is very low. And then I bet their net churn, you know, including expansion revenue is what it's called, as as people expand into higher tiers is is quite substantial. So that's the holy grail of SaaS. I know people say like recurring revenue is the holy grail of software, and that's why SaaS is such a big thing. Net negative churn is the holy grail of SaaS, if you want to get into it, because that just snowballs. And it means that if you do nothing, your company grows. Like it's it's crazy to even think about it when you actually look at charts and you look at how the numbers work out and you look at graphs of it. You don't once you hit net negative churn, you don't need to do 
much. I mean, I shouldn't say you don't need to do much, but you need to do a lot less to, to grow a lot faster is what happens. Is that where the passive income comes in? You know, you get the night and passive income, baby. Okay. <laughs> Money while you sleep. Yeah. Cool. So let's let's run through the last few pretty quickly. The fifth thing is MRR, and that's just your monthly recurring revenue. And as we've said earlier, it can get tricky if you have annual plans. You're supposed to technically divide by 12 of that annual plan and then add it onto your MRR. And you hopefully you have software that can do that, like a bare metrics, you know, or or a profit well. And that was, I mean, MRR was the number that I that's the one I track religiously, right? Where every night I would get an email after billing ran and, and it would tell me what MRR was and, and what the, the daily billing was and all that stuff. Kind of a no-brainer. I mean, I think all of us track it and it's something that talks about the healthier business. The other one is MRR growth. And I always looked at this as dollar rather than percentage. A lot of people talk percentages, but it's like when you're at a thousand bucks MRR or you're at a hundred thousand MRR, like the percentages... It, it obfuscates so much stuff, you know? It's like, truly, how many dollars did you add? And, and you kind of want to look at not just net add, but you want to look at how many did you lose to churn, then how many did you add from new customers, then how much did you add from expansion revenue? And seeing those three different numbers, and then the net, you know, so there's like four different numbers that you can get into. And I like the people who are really into their SaaS numbers, know these, know these numbers cold and know, you know, kind of where they want to be with them. And then, the other, the last one is is ARPU, average revenue per user. I like to call this uh, ARPC, which is average average revenue per customer, because frankly, when I'm charging people money, I think of them as customers, not users. Like Drip, one account might have twenty users in it, but to me, that's a single customer. So it's it's apples to apples, but it's just you know it's a terminology thing. Average revenue per user, average revenue per customer, and you know frankly, if you if your average revenue per user is ten or twenty dollars a month, you have a nice little business, and and you can grow that to something. But the odds of you growing that to a multi million dollar business are very 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 low. I've seen businesses with very low churn, good trial to paid, and average revenue per customer of 10 bucks or 15 bucks a month. And I think that's going to be a great 30K MRR business. And that's, that's not a bad business to have, but you're going to struggle, you know, to get past that 30 or 50K mark. If you want to build something into a seven figure business, not across the board, not unequivocally, but in general, like you need that average revenue per customer to, to be upwards of that 40, 50, $60 and up price point. And frankly, you want to be in triple digits. You know, you want to be in the, you want to get there eventually. You don't have to be there on day one, but aspiring to get into that hundred to $500 per month per customer is, that's where you can scale, where it's so, so much easier to scale a business into that seven and eight figure range. And because you have the money to acquire customers, the payback is fairly quick, right? If you're charging, if most people are paying you 200 a month, you can spend quite a bit on ads and salespeople, and frankly, churn will be lower. It's always counterintuitive to say this, but lower priced products, lower ARPCs tend to lead to higher churn. Something we didn't talk about when we were talking about the revenue churn between the first 60 days and then post 60 days was that if you do any sort of a pricing change, that can have a massive impact on what your your revenue churn looks like. So if you raise prices, let's say by 50%, to make things simple, like if you raise prices by 100%, you double your prices. If you lose less than half your customers, then technically you're coming out ahead because you're making more money. And in theory, your infrastructure costs have probably gone down. The 
obvious downside of that is potentially losing customers after after that first month or after you initially make that change, assuming you didn't grandfather them. So that's something to uh, at least be a little cautious of or cognizant of because like that can seriously change some of those numbers. It's not something you have to worry about like as you're launching, but down the road when you are calculating these numbers and trying to figure out how to grow the company, those are things that you should at least bear in mind when you're trying to figure out like, you know, if, if you're running into financial issues and you need to be able to make more money, you can kind of do some calculations and say, well, if I raise by 10%, this is how much we could get and how many of those customers are we going to lose because, the, the, because of uh, us raising those prices. The other thing that I was thinking about was that all of this information sounds great to to be looking at, but how do you actually go about tracking it? And there's a lot of different tools out there that you can use. Uh, Sunrise KPI, for example, is one. We can link this up in the show notes. Scythe is another one. It's C-Y-F-E. Honestly, like the simplest thing to do, like instead of going in and trying to figure out like a bunch of different tools and things to integrate, like you can just use a spreadsheet whether it's a Google Doc or an Excel spreadsheet, it doesn't really matter. Throw your information in there, maybe update it. You can do it as much as once a day, but you could also do it once a week or once a month. And it really gives you a sense of where things are at and what you should be focusing on. Because if you're not plugging this information in and at least looking at it, then you're never going to do anything about it. And that's, I think, the big problem that most people run into is they just don't even look at these things or they don't update them and and keep track of them. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean... I'll admit with pretty much all, I think without exception, all the SaaS apps I've ever run, I built a little scrappy page and just hacked some, these are just SQL queries, you know, you should have all this stuff in your own database, I'm imagining, I always did. And it's a little bit of a pain, like churn can be a pain to calculate, that can take some time. But I remember hacking together a dashboard with most of these numbers in like a few hours one evening you know i was like listening to music and had the lava lamp on sipping bourbon and i just hammered through these one at a time i'm really i really don't have a very uh, impressive life do i mike it's kind of sad it's kind of sad that that would but it was a fun night i'll admit because man once i had that i was looking at that thing every day it was super cool and then by the time we were launching drip i remember telling derek like these are the numbers i know i need let's figure them out and it did take him probably a day to get the initial version done so you know we had to kill kill a day of developer productivity to do it but it was really nice to a be in control of those to b have them all in one place and to have them displayed in exactly the way, like the order that, that I wanted. I mean, we even had like trailing seven day trials, how much each day it had, how, trailing 30 day, you know, just, I, and then we modified it and adjusted it over time. And the other cool thing is that whole dashboard and admin area became a nice training ground for new developers. We'd bring in like a new, like a junior dev or whatever. And you may not want them to push production code into your app right away because it could break something for a customer, but that becomes a nice playground to be like, hey, let's add this number or let's tweak this. And it becomes this code base that can get screwed up. You know what I mean? If, if the admin dashboard or the, the admin console crashes or has some weird weird thing that happens in it, like it's not the end of the world because it's just us using it. So that was kind of a also a bonus to having that uh, all built out. I have daily emails sent to me from Blue Tick just to see a lot of those different uh, pieces of data. It's a good way to do it, man. I always had it as a shortcut in my browser, but it's the same thing. I and mean, that's that's your pulse, right? That's the living, breathing. I mean, we actually called it that. The page that displayed all this, we called it Pulse in Drip. And I, I thought that was a, a pretty fitting fitting you know, name because it's a pulse of the business. Got it. Cool. So 40 minutes 
on SaaS metrics, KPIs. Oh, I think the next episode needs to just be all jokes. Like you and I need to just like talk about movies and jokes. I, I don't know if that's going to be a very compelling episode. <laughs> That'll be even worse than this one. Uh, all right. Let's call it a wrap, man. Oh, I guess I'm the, I'm the rap guy today. Yes, you are. All right. So this whole episode was outlined based on a single listener question. And if you have a question for us, you can call our voicemail number at 888-801-9690 or email us at questions at startupsfortherestofus.com. Our theme music is an excerpt from We're Out of Control by Moot, used under Creative Commons. Subscribe to us in iTunes by searching for startups and visit startupsfortherestofus.com for a full transcript of each episode. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.